It's Sunday, it's Fab Radio International, it must be bookworm time. Um, I'm Nympha Hayes, I'm going to be your host today, and where is Ed? Ed, very excitingly, is in that there London at Loncom 3. We are not jealous! We're a little bit jealous. (laughs) We're a lot jealous. So today, I am joined by the lovely... Del, hiya. Oh, oh. Del, Del's going to be um, going through some reviews today. Um, we're going to have some news in a moment. Uh, I'm, we've got sort of like a bit of a um, spin-off theme today with our reviews. So I'm going to be talking about School Spirits by Rachel Hawkins, which is a spin-off of Hacks Hall. And Del, what are you going to be talking about? I'm going to be talking about Sandman spin-offs. Ooh. Yep. So you can find the bookworm on a lot of social media. So we are on Facebook as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Twitter as Radio Bookworm. And on Tumblr as, yes, you guessed it, Radio Bookworm. We're also on Mixclouds and don't forget iTunes, uh, where you can like us and subscribe. Please subscribe. Please love us. <laughs> Give us some love. And obviously you can also find us on FabRadioInternational.com, uh, which is also on a load of media and um, on Starburst magazine because we love Starburst. We do love Starburst. <laughs> so coming up the news. This is Fab Radio International. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched. My hand. You ask for it. So it's news in the book world. What's been happening? Um, well, as we mentioned before, uh, the lovely ad is off to uh, London uh, for Longcon. Um, obviously, Longcon, massive, massive event this year in London. Loads of people from all over the world. All things that we love, books, graphic novels, comics, TV shows, movies, all wrapped into a delicious, delicious meal. Um, so... Um, Every sci-fi, fantasy and genre author in Western Europe <laughs> is seemingly there. <laughs> Apparently, people are just turning up, Joe. Um, uh, Banaratnovich just must, like randomly turned up the, on. I think it was yesterday, and, and bought friend of the show R.A. Smith a coffee and a muffin. And a muffin, oh, I Check R.A. Smith mm. out rubbing elbows with the rich and famous. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yes, basically, uh, one of the interesting things that happened last Thursday uh, was the retrospective Hugo Awards. Yes, so from, this year for 1939. 1939. <laughs> I know, right? So. What does that mean? A lot of people basically went through the 1938-39 publishing um, scene and picked a bunch of books and exciting things that happened. I mean, Wells's, you know, War of the Worlds broadcast um, had won. Uh, yeah. You know, justifiably won uh, yeah. uh, Retro Hugo. Um, Ray Bradbury. Yeah. So loads of interesting um, titles. But Ray Bradbury won for Best Fan Writer. I know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Is, um, is, is this the revenge of the thick? <laughs> revenge of the thick. Um, yeah, given that I happen to know Ed interviewed somebody this weekend who went, oh no, don't write fanfic. Write entirely your own world. There's no point in doing fanfic. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> But we can't really talk about that interview yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so so I, I, sense, I sense the disturbance in the force here. <laughs> Fan writers. No. Yes, it's a thing. Yes, it's brilliant. Get over it. And it's been a thing since apparently at least 1939. So there you go. Imagine that. It's shocking, isn't it? Imagine that. Best short story, How We Went to Mars by Arthur C. Clarke from Mm. Amateur Science Stories, March 1938. Amateur people. Amateur. Mm. How dare those new coming authors do anything amazing, even in 1939. God forbid you should have to have a day job to pay the bills. Because that never happens these days. (coughs) All the time. (laughs) Um, so yes so so that's really exciting and obviously the Hugas are live streaming tonight the Hugas are live streaming tonight yeah Um, Um, lots of things up in contention for that Um, let's have a quick look uh, if I can find the thing where mm-hmm. it tells me. Well oh, prepped. Oh, no, it, it is. I'm, I'm well prepped for the retros. They're up on the screen and everything. <laughs> oh, I, can, I can tell you that Tea in Jeopardy by the lovely Emma Newman is one of the things nominated in the podcasting category. Um, oh. I, I, I met her last weekend at Nine Worlds, which we're going to probably chat slightly more about in the end of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, she was absolutely lovely fantastic um but yeah so so if you want to obviously watch the hugos there is a link for live streaming um producer oh can we possibly sort of re- repost that link we, we will repost that link it is worth saying they had problems with it on thursday they did yes and it didn't seem to quite work so they're having to re-upload that later because they have got a recording of everything that yeah. happened so so they're, they're saying with everything crossed, oh yeah, we'll be fine tonight. But <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt, salt people. Yeah. Especially, especially, if, I suspect. I mean, Thursday. I know the weather was terrible mm. in London. Yeah, um, so that might have affected it. Possibly, yes. Yeah. So what what have you what have we got? Because I know. I mean, is it the Wheel of Time that that's up in its entirety? The Wheel of Time in its entirety is up for best novel, which apparently because they've got some updated information on here. Uh, that's had 1,595 ballots overall in that category. Okay. Mm. That's not a massive amount. No, but apparently it's about... Um, I don't know. I thought they were saying about 40% of people have voted, but that doesn't look right for these numbers. Mm. Mm. From what they were saying earlier. Um, I'm shrouded in mystery, I would say. <laughs> this this ballot. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder. It's, it's, it's all it's all online as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, but yes, I think if you pop on the website for the Hugos, you'll get the whole enchilada of titles mm. um, that are have been um, obviously nominated for a category. There's loads of juicy stuff, and I'm sure everyone at Longcon is really excited because yeah. you know they get the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's not yeah it's not a book, but best dramatic presentation at short form is of course Doctor Who versus Doctor Who versus the making of Doctor Who versus the Five-ish Doctors reboot. <laughs> I, I have a feeling, I'm not, I don't know why, I mean, don't quote me, but possibly something Doctor Who related might well, win it. Or, or will, will <laughs> those votes be split and it'll go to Game of Thrones to the reigns of Castamere? Bearing in mind, of course, that George R. R. Martin has been at Long Con. He has. Possibly he has. courting votes. He has. Whereas all the Doctor Who people are currently in Sydney. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's 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 you know i mean most of them are, are, are hibernating until sort of like is it next week uh, next saturday <laughs> exciting really um, really exciting yes very very <laughs> exciting yay doctor who new doctor who please 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 don't ruin it because i loved mary smith so much <laughs> anyways moving on manchester news yes yes manchester news uh tomorrow the tickets go public for the Manchester Literature Festival. Um, I think they're called Friends of the Festival uh, have been able to purchase tickets already and I know some of the events have quite limited spacing so hopefully us plebs can still get in <laughs> and get plebs. some tickets. Yeah. It's, it's called Get um, Closer Membership. Oh that's it. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's some, there is some really exciting stuff on this year. Um, obviously it, it was always going to be quite difficult to top last year in the sense of just the the huge names that yeah. were involved last year, like Helen Fielding was there last year, <coughs> Neil Gaiman was there last year. That we're was, not worthy. That was a good day. Yeah, oh, that was a very good yeah. day. Um, but there is still some really exciting stuff on this year. And for, I'm excited by some things for actually quite odd reasons. Um, <laughs> on the and a lot of it's around the same couple of days as well, which is frustrating. Yeah. On um, yeah. Tuesday the seventh of October. Um, at 1pm there's graphic novels with Daryl Cunningham and Ian, Willing- Ian Williams mm-hmm. uh, both of them are graphic novelists with a kind mm. of a science background uh-huh. um, so Daryl Cunningham wrote Psychiatric Tales oh. and Ian Williams wrote Bad Doctors um, no sorry The Bad Doctor um, and that one is at the Central Library but because of just the science nature of it, it they, they're really interesting graphics. And so it's going to be a really interesting chat, I think. I'm um, going to definitely try and get worth to that looking one. at. Um, also on the same day, but at 7 pm, is another graphic novels talk. And this one is with Nick Hayes and Stephen Collins. Now, Nick Hayes wrote Lovely, uh, Lovely Grey Day. But Stephen Collins is the man who wrote the gigantic beard that was evil, <laughs> which oh that is, sounds amazing. It's so fun. It's the the it's a black and white graphic. The front cover is literally a man with a giant beard. Beard, yeah, <laughs> and it's surprising. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's a really exciting graphic that got loads of people very excited and chatty. Mm. Um, so that's already going to be an interesting talk. But it's actually at the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. Mm. So that, and that's just a really awesome place. So that's really exciting as well. I've somehow managed to never go in that building. Really? Yeah. It's kind of it's not in the sticks but it's not in an area that you just wander into is it really like you'd have to be going <laughs> no no there. that is a fair point yeah um also uh, on tuesday the 7th is richard armitage in a talk Ooh. with rachel cook uh did i say richard armitage you did you made it's Simon. because i really really love richard armitage <laughs> no that's I fair that's that's fair. that's fair oh uh, no sorry it's simon armitage <laughs> <laughs> oh, now now I'm upset that Simon Armitage has just like let me down. <laughs> um, yes. Why aren't you Richard? Why? Yeah, why aren't you Richard Armitage? I wonder how many like middle-aged women are going to turn up to that talk. <laughs> now that I've said that, people have heard Richard Armitage. I'm Disclaimer going. from the bookworm: It's Simon. Simon. Simon, Simon Armitage, who's also um, lovely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's it. I. It's Simon Armitage um, with Rachel Cook, and they have done work together. So it's. I'm, I think it's going to be awesome. I think Simon Armitage has the... He's in the wonderful position where he's on the GCSE syllabus but wasn't ruined. Uh, the amount of 
GCSE syllabus poets that you had to look at <sighs> and the poems that were selected and the way that the the kind of awarding bodies mm. wanted them to be addressed did kind of ruin a lot what, of, what you did yeah. uh, similar to like lo- it's like why people don't like Romeo and Juliet and it's just <laughs> because it was rammed down their throat when they were 13 yes but I think Simon Armitage was one of the few author- um, few poets that came out of GCSE <laughs> syllabus <laughs> shining at the end <laughs> like, like John Agard everyone loves John Agard like you, it, they, he's done really well out of it um, but it's because his work stands up to whatever teachers try and throw at it. <laughs> um, and that one, what makes it, oh, what gets me even more excited about it, but annoyingly, I think it's at the same time as the Nick Hayes and Stephen Collins um, graphic novels talk. But the Simon, Simon Armitage and Rachel Cook talk is at the Manchester Cathedral. Oh, so, like, because Simon Armitage Manchester has, like, Cathedral. this wonderfully dark humour mm. a lot of the time. And I think just Manchester Cathedral is a brilliant setting for that. And then the one that I'm most excited by is on the Wednesday the 8th, and it's Manchester Salon presenting um, North Elizabeth and Gaspel's, South. Yeah, North and South. As we're talking about Richard Armitage. At the. Yeah. <laughs> See that, what we did there. Be, yeah. yeah, it was in your mind. It was yes. meant to be. Um, but that's the Manchester Salon presentation of North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell is in the newly renovated Elizabeth Gaskell house oh that's awesome yeah mm-hmm. it's and it's by sounds of it they're actually having a really in-depth talk about what we learn about the industrial revolution from Elizabeth Gaskell um part of it is about how we should read novels from a different period yeah. in, in history um and also kind of like will we always just be a doomed to misread things from a period that isn't our own uh, which i think is, is an interesting chat. it is an interesting chat yes because I'm, I'm, i think so many people will just disagree <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm not necessarily agree yeah i, could, I think that. i think it's really um, to be fair and, and uh, yeah. this is just a personal personal sort of opinion um i always think when you're reading a book you go into it with with your own perspective so if you're going into it uh and and it's down to us well to the writer and how good the writer is in in describing the world and the setting because let's face it if you're reading a sci-fi mm. you know set in the year 3000 in the future you're not going to know what the setting of that mind is no. because you know you're not from the year 3000 you don't have cars that fly you don't live on mars <laughs> or or venus or wherever the, the the setting is or even you know in a different galaxy far far away mm. uh, so in the same way you know if you're reading something that was you know, from the 1800s or if the writer's done it in a way that the the world around you it's vivid and alive you will get into that set of mind. You yeah. just will, because you're following those characters in their world and you will get it. So I don't agree no. that, mm. you know, that we're doomed. No. If there is, is hope. <laughs> if something is well written, the words on the page will tell me the rules of the world that I'm in. Absolutely. And that's fine. Absolutely. Like it, uh, it, we should all go to this story. and keep our hands up and just yeah. everything that they say will be like, I don't agree with that. And <laughs> I, it, I don't. And it's the thing of for the Industrial Revolution, especially if you're in Manchester, which obviously we are. And he breaks of it there's, still. There's, there, it does, but there's so much knowledge and history. Absolutely. And I think if you go to school here, you do get more of that and more of an insight than maybe if you're in other parts of the country or, or other Absolutely. parts of Europe. 
Um, but there is so much historical evidence and it's it's relatively recent. But also, I think the themes of North and South and of most of Elizabeth Gaskell's work mm-hmm. are about society and social differences and change. And I think, especially in Manchester right now at the moment with the digital revolution and with everything that's happening with the BBC moving up here and that establishing itself as a media centre and everything sort of growing around that um, and the cooperative with its big new site at, at, at Noma or however I'm supposed to pronounce it, uh, it's all still relevant. Absolutely. We've still got, you know, the massive divide between the small number of people at the top who are absolutely loaded and just live in a different world to the people at the bottom who are trying yeah. to scrape by every day and pay the damn bills at the end of the month, you know? It's very, very true. Very mm. true. So, yeah, is it, isn't it? Yes, it is still relevant. Yes, it is still the right mindset. Yes, people, you can go and read a novel that was published 200 years ago and still get it. And, and you know, as we're talking about spin-offs, uh, we, mentioning here all the YouTube adaptations there have been of oh. Pride and Prejudice and oh, Emma, yeah. and there's currently one of uh, Much Ado About Nothing being done by some <gasps> New Zealand kids. Oh, my God, so awesome. Yeah, it's, it. it's been done by New Zealand kids. It's, they've set it in a high school... Um, we've just reached the point uh, where it's all about to go off with Hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. But, you know, I can see that. And, you know, in my mind, you tell me that and I'm like, yeah, you could totally have, you know, the, the girl that gets called names and stuff because there's rumours going around mm. and, and stuff happening. And, you know, you can totally get the the jock and, and you know, the, the, the clever bookish girl that mm. fall in love because, you know, they hate each other, but really they don't. I can totally see it happening. Yeah, if you've got a spare four and a half hours, YouTube, nothing much to do. <laughs> a couple of channels associated with that as well. Good luck. Yay. Um, so, yes, lots going on in, in Manchester, UK. If yep. you are in the country or if you're travelling um, to England and wish to be really cultural and clever, come and uh, obviously take take part. Tickets go out live tickets tomorrow. 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 Republic, yeah. yeah. Um, held from the 6th to the 19th of October, inclusive with a bit of a writers' conference thing tacked on on the 25th of October. Uh, website is manchesterliteraturefestival.co.uk. Um, and because I'm really clever, I accidentally tweet, uh, Facebooked the link to this on the bookworm page about four days ago, rather than putting it in our little presenter's secret. Yeah. Group. It's okay. <laughs> we we love you anyways. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. So news, more news. Still more news. There's, there's <laughs> lots of news. We've done very well with this news section, given that half an hour ago we were like, ah. <laughs> Shh, that's not true. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> this week on Amazon versus Hachette. <laughs> it's a soap opera. Ladies it is and now. We love it. it is obviously last week we. Uh, weren't here we were at nine worlds and if you listened in live you will have heard um ed and myself uh, desperately riffing for 30 minutes with some people from lovely people from other podcasts about stuff that was going on and we had to do the pre-record for the book news for that about two weeks before that show yes so we said there's probably something going on with amazon and shetty and there was <laughs> guess what guess we what? were right yeah last week it was that amazon released um a uh, sort of public thing on readersunited.com which is an Amazon subsite uh, to say why they think Hachette's wrong and then they published the email address of the head of Hachette Wow. wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Round of applause. Huge um, amounts of professional. Um, in that, they the uh, they compared their fight for lower ebook prices to the introduction of the paperback and quoted. George Orwell, 
on the paperback as saying, if publishers had any sense, they would combine against them and suppress them, end quote. That's a misquote. The uh, 900 authors who launched an open letter in the uh, New York Times last weekend, which was signed by 900 uh, authors, some of them Hachetti, some of them not, mm. um, basically said, well, uh, we think uh, this is all wrong. The authors are getting in the middle of this. We don't want to be in the middle of this. Oh, and here's the email of the head of Amazon. Because if you're going to do that, we're going to come right back at you. Yep. Um, and also said, oh, and we're fairly sure that quote's been taken out of context. Um, the estate of George Orwell, uh, Agent Bill, Hamilt- Bill Hamilton, is the literary, literary good grief, executor for the Orwell <laughs> estate, um, said, actually, they've been misquoted. The full quote actually reads, The Penguin books are splendid value for sixpence, so splendid that if the other publishers had any sense, they would combine against them and suppress them. Hamilton said Amazon quoted Orwell out of context to give specious authority to its campaign against publishers over ebook pricing. And having gotten as much capital as it can out of waving around Orwell's name, Amazon then dismisses what was an ironic comment without engaging with Orwell's own detailed arguments, which eloquently contradict Amazon's. This is about as close as one can get to the Ministry of Truth and its doublespeak, turning the facts inside out to get a piece of propaganda across, Hamilton continued. Uh, As the literary executor for the Orwell estate, I'm both appalled and wryly amused that Amazon's tactics should come straight out of Orwell's own nightmare dystopia 1984. (laughs) It doesn't say much for Amazon's regard for truth or its powers of literary understanding. Or perhaps Amazon just doesn't care about the authors it is selling. If that's the case, why should we listen to a word it says about the value of books? So, there's that. Hachette have been notably quiet for the last few weeks. <laughs> is that because someone else just fought his, the, the corner the, the battle, for them? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> uh, also noticeable, Amazon appears to be having a small spat with Disney about the release of its pre- uh, DVDs as oh, well. Oh, i heard about mm-hmm. that. So, as we always say... Um, Amazon's lovely, go and look at it for the shiny. But if you would like to buy books from elsewhere, support your local bookstore. Go and do it. If, Lo- you're, if you're not sure where your local bookstore is, or you live somewhere where there isn't a particular one, let me talk to you about hive.co.uk, mm-hmm. which uh, unashamedly says, we're like Amazon, but we support local booksellers. You nominate your favourite or your local bookseller, and when you buy something off us uh, in the sort of books, stationery, miscellaneous related items umbrella of things your local bookstore gets a cut of the sale cost that's awesome mm-hmm. see see for the people doing mm-hmm. it for the people i'm like i'm big on independent like uh shops and things but i think unfortunately when it comes to books just the amount of independent shops that have had that, that have just disappeared over the yeah. last few years yeah. um and things like while I, yes, very much advocate if you have an independent bookseller in your area, please use them. But I don't think we can discredit big retailers such as Waterstones. Oh, absolutely. Love it. I love Waterstones, and it's a shame that they're just constantly in so much trouble. Mm. Um, The the Waterstones website is actually a completely separate company to Waterstones. So by buying from the Waterstones website, you're not actually supporting waterstones and it's why and so it's like i try 
every now and then at Christmas, say, if I'm doing books, I tend to buy them from the Waterstones website rather than in the shop just mm. because you're buying that many. Of course. And they are they are a couple of quid cheaper. But in my head, I always get them delivered to the shop because then it uses the staff <laughs> and it justifies their existence. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Hive will do this as well. You can say, I'll pick it up from my local bookstore. That's what I really like. And you like can go. And, and the idea is, of course, that you will, while you're there collecting your book, yes. you will browse and go, oh, I'll just have that. Yeah. And also you'll find that a lot of your sort of local independent bookstores, as well as, say, the bigger ones like Waterstones, when you go in and you start talking to people and they tell you about, you know, oh, that book is really great, have you read... And and, then you just get introduced to a whole new world um, of books. So, so, you know, if you've got a moment, browse hive.com. Hive.co.uk. Hive.co.uk. And we'll um, put a link up to that on the various social media later. Absolutely. Find out about your local bookstores. If you don't have a local one but you have a Waterstone, it is okay to go and shop at Waterstones. They are lovely, very organised and have a fantastic range of books. So, coming up next, we've got my review of School Spirits by Rachel Huggins. Welcome back. You're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Um, you can catch us on social media if you want to ask us questions or have a look at the links that we post about news and reviews and all things interesting in the book world. Um, today we have a bit of a spin-off theme and I've picked um, a book that I've read recently and I actually quite enjoyed. Um, it's called School Spirits and it's by Rachel Hawkins uh, and it's a spin-off of her um, fantastic Hex Hall series. Um, it's a young adult um, Serious and um, school spirits sort of kind of picks up um, not long after the end of the uh, trilogy with Hacks Hall. Um, so, what is it about? Um, the story follows Izzy Brannock. Now, for those of you who have read Hacksaw or listened to my review of Hacksaw in previous shows, um, Sophie Mercer was the main character in, in the Hacksaw trilogy, and she is a bit of a We'll say which to not give any spoilers, uh, but really, in her world, special people with special powers like you know werewolves and vampires and witches and fairies and demons are called prodigium. So, um, Izzy Brannock's actually um, sort of Sophie's cousin, um, and she's the youngest of two. And the Brannock's line is a line of demon hunters. So basically what they do, they're a bit of like the police of of the prodigium world. They make sure that any prodigium that goes sort of like off um, on a a rampage of some sort or any ghosts that are giving issues, you know, hauntings and things, they go and fix it. Um, so they they have um, think think Buffy you know they have uh, they're extra strong and speedy they have you know knowledge about the prodigium world um, so when we start the book um, actually um, Izzy's sister's gone missing Finn uh, and her and her mum are sort of trying to pick up their lives and carry on and the, the last two in the line they've got no idea what's happened to Finn she went off to investigate some witches and disappeared off the face of the earth so it's it's a bit of a tough one and Easy's feeling sort of really um, upset obviously that her sister's gone and she feels like she doesn't quite know 
how to make it better or how to help until her mum decides that it's time to sort of go and 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 get stuck into a, a job again so they um rustle up a ghost case seems nice and straightforward um and off they go to this um, little town called Ideal. Because, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you call it Ideal? Uh, together with the big massive mirror that they carry around that has a war-looking prison in it um, called Taurin. Um And it's it's absolutely a lot of fun. Um, so basically they get into Ideal and start investigating. And guess what? They find a lot more there than what they bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's just how it is. So that's just a little bit about the story. As I said, it's it's very young adult. Um, Izzy's only about seventeen, so it's quite quite a young girl. Uh, not only that, uh, but it is set in sort of a school. Haha, <laughs> school spirits. Um, so basically, the ghost they think it, it's tied in with a school, and Izzy's never been to school before because she's always been homeschooled, and mostly her homeschooling was here's a stake, here's how you kill a vampire, and here's history, but actually true history with you know that doesn't did, didn't happen because of this person that happened because a werewolf went on a rampage <laughs> so she has no idea how to act in a sort of like teenage social environment uh, and it's quite a lot of fun to see her to sort of try and all of the four passes that she makes to try and fit in um she does find some friends uh, funny enough um and she does find a little bit of a love interest as well because you know it wouldn't be a good young adult mm. without without a little bit of romance um i found it a lot of fun and because i love the hexhorf um trilogy so much i was looking forward to seeing whether it kept you know the same sort of tone and vibe and yeah it does but actually it feels in it feels different, which is brilliant because obviously when a writer sort of takes on a side story, I think sometimes you're you're sort of risking for the voice not to be any different. And Rachel Hawkins writes, writes in first person as well, so it's always hard to sort of keep the, those voices distinctive. Um, but I think she did a really good job. I honestly loved the book i can't wait to um read the the further books in the series as well um if you're interested in such things it is published by hyperion uh-huh. okay and that's school spirits by rachel hawkins absolutely pick it up whether you're a young adult or like me a a 30 odd year old woman that just likes a bit of fun um it's very light-hearted in places but still quite intense and involved in others so really really worth picking it up Lovely. Coming up in a moment, our interview. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Hello. So, um, coming up, this is the bit where you get to hear Ed in his pre-recorded interview. We are talking to Emma I'm going to pronounce Annie it. Annie Thank you, Itaranta. Um, Nymph is very excited about it's this. very excited Nymph's because very Memory excited. of Water is a beautiful book and you should all read it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, here we go with a pre-recorded interview, which, who knows, Ed may introduce as well. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome to the bookworm, Emmy Itaranta. Thank you. Can you tell us all about Memory of Water, your latest book, please? All about it. Uh, um, right. Um, 
Memory of Water is a um, is a book set in a dystopian future world which is um, running short on fresh drinking water. And the main character is a young woman who needs to take the responsibility for protecting a secret uh, freshwater source. And uh, essentially, um, the story revolves around the choices that she has to make uh, with that responsibility in mind. The book has a very dystopian and environmental message. Where does that come from? I like I um I'd like to say I had some kind of an agenda there but I didn't really I mean it just kind of happened I I came up with this uh image of the main character um of a young woman in a future world preparing tea in a very traditional way in a house where she was running out of water and um that um that image contained uh, all the basic elements, the core elements of the story and the book. Um, so um, so um, it just sort of began to grow from there. And only when I had written a few chapters, I realized that I was writing a dystopian post-apocalyptic story. So the story and the main character came first. And only after that, I realized that it falls in the category of, of, of dystopian or, um, or post-apocalyptic. It wasn't planned as such. What challenges did you face writing a book in two languages? Um, the main challenge, I think, was to keep, um, keep writing in two languages and, um, and keep, um, keep the story in both languages um, the same. The, the story as such would not change, but, but um, it's a little bit difficult to explain. I feel that when I work uh, in two languages, I, uh, I achieve a better end, resu end result with writing um, because I'm forced to look at everything very closely. I'm, I, I, I have to um, look at every word, every sentence, um, on a very, on a nearly microscopic level, because I'm filtering everything through uh, two languages rather than just one. So um, uh, the main challenge was to um, keep um, to keep it fresh, um, or rather, I would say that having two languages helped me keep it fresh. But at the same time, it was extremely labor intensive. Um, I could not be lazy with anything. I had to be extremely careful with everything I put in there. So um, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of work. But at the same time, I found it rewarding because I felt that the end result turned out more polished because I was working in two languages. That's a fascinating process. Do you find it difficult? Do, does one language affect the other in any way? They, they bleed into each other. I mean, most of the time I write the first draft of each chapter first in Finnish, which is my native tongue, and then I translate it into English uh, and edit while I'm translating. And then I continue uh, that process with each chapter until I have um, a version that I'm... I'm, I'm more or less happy with. Um, so it's, it, but, but they do bleed into each other. Sometimes, for instance, if, I, if I'm stuck with one language, uh, if I'm stuck in, 
in Finnish, uh, I, I switch to English and then I, um, I make progress again. So it's also a way of putting some distance between myself and the writing uh, and, and, and uh, breaking the writer's block when that occurs. Any chance of a sequel? At the moment, I'm writing a second novel, which is not a sequel. It's a standalone, and it has nothing to do with uh, Memory of Water. It's set in a completely different world. Um, it has some themes in common with Memory of Water. Again, I'm interested in um, what, um, how we use natural resources, uh, what kind of mark we leave, leave on the world, and um, different power structures. Um, but um, the main theme in the second book is um, its identity. So I think um, it's quite different from Memory of Water in some ways. Um, I wouldn't call it science fiction either. I think it's closer to fantasy. Um, but again, it's, um, it's, it has a young protagonist and focuses around her choices under the difficult circumstances of her world. So... Um, different world, but um, some things in common with Memory of Water. It does feel like there should be an extra story there in Memory of Water. I haven't decided. I have thought about it. Actually, when I finished writing Memory of Water, I drafted a sequel. Um, so I kind of know what will happen <laughs> if I were ever to return to that world. Um, but after thinking about it, I decided that I didn't want to do it. I felt um, I felt the need to work on something different next. And I also felt that um, if I were to ever write another story set in the same world, um, I would only do it if I felt that I would I had something significant to add. So I, I don't want to repeat myself, um, and but only if I felt that. I would have something to add to that world and, and to that story. Only then I would return to that. It's a very rich novel filled with ritual and conspiracy. Where does that all come from? I was interested in, in Japanese tea culture in general and its, its connection with uh, Zen philosophy in particular. And I was fascinated by the, by the ritualistic way um, that... Uh, tea is prepared in, in Japanese tea culture or, or at least some branches of it. So um, that's where the ritual part came from. But um, as for conspiracy, um, I think I'm always interested in stories that we don't hear. I'm always interested in who gets to write the history and um, when history is written, which stories uh, are left untold. So I was interested in writing about a world where people have lost part of their history because it has been deliberately erased. And uh, I think that's where the, the conspiracy theme came from. What's your dream creative project? I used to want to be a filmmaker when I was much younger. I have long ago uh, abandoned that dream. Um, I'm much more interested in writing books now. But I think it would be really interesting to write... Um, write a screenplay one day for um for some kind of science fiction or fantasy uh movie i i i can't tell you what the plot would be or anything like that but something in those genres working with um with um with film rather than um rather than working um 
with with novels i think that will be something i would be very interested to do one day if i get a chance where does your inspiration come from i think my writing has been influenced a lot by my interest in in, in cinema um because when, again if i get stuck with writing i try to think um i try to think of the story as a film and quite quite often that helps me um helps me get over the obstacle that I'm facing so uh, I think I tend to I tend to think in images many times even if I'm using words Um, so cinema has been a great influence I've also been influenced by quite a few uh, quite a few authors um, for instance Margaret Atwood and um, Kazuo Ishiguro just to mention a couple Um, but um, I think I've always, since I was very young, um, I've been a bit of a fiction addict. So I'm definitely someone who takes influences from all, all all kinds of fiction, really. And I think all that filters into my writing in some way. If you were stuck on a desert island with only one book of a company, what book would that be? I'm extremely tempted to say Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell because I absolutely adore that book. Um, but... At the same time, I'm tempted to say something, um, something non-fiction, something a bit more, possibly a bit more pragmatic or possibly a bit more philosophical, like um, um, Tao Te Ching or something like that. So either I, I think I would go either with um, with a novel I love or something uh, that has to do with philosophy. <laughs> Emir Taranto, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Fab Radio International. Hiya, you're listening to The Bookworm. Uh, Just actually, very quickly, before I get on to my review, David Mitchell, who was just mentioned in that interview, who wrote Cloud Atlas, is one of the events at this year's Manchester Literature Festival. Yeah, it's like we planned it. Yeah, it's 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 not like we totally planned planned it. it, It's all coming up, bookworm. (laughs) Um, Today we kind of have a bit of a spin-offs theme. Um, So my review actually isn't of a book. (laughs) Um, It's sort of it's I'm reviewing all the things. Um, (laughs) I wanted to talk about uh, so. I wanted to talk about a graphic novel series, and it's the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. Um, but I'm not actually going to be talking about the Sandman series. Neil Gaiman's Sandman series is a wonderfully inspiring graphic novel series um, based on an intrigue about a disease that took over the world uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, I think it was about, around about 1918, called Encephalitis Lethargica in which people just went to sleep and didn't wake up for years. They weren't in a coma, they weren't dead, they were literally just sleeping. And these people like just fell asleep and carried on sleeping for, mm. for years and years and years. And that in- inspired this wonderful story of the Sandman. Um, but one of the joys of the Sandman is the amount of spin-offs that have come from it. But... Some of them have been written by Gaiman himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaiman, the Sandman, or Morpheus, or Dream, is one of the endless. 
and there are uh, the they're, they're almost just like these eternals that are part of the world and as humanity grew and the, the universe grew so did they so dream is the younger brother of death and destiny and the older brother of despair Ooh. and desire and delirium um Death is my favourite literary character. I love her. She's just this beautiful, happy, gorgeous little person um, who looks after all of us because she is the person who we we last encounter. Um, and so Gaiman has, has actually written her, her own graphic novels. Um, that she has two graphic novels just to herself. One is called The High Cost of Living, and the storyline of that one is that every century, death has to spend a day in human form. And for one day, every century, death lives. Because she has to... It's her way of reminding herself why what she does is important mm. and how humanity works and what the thing that she impacts just through her very existence. Um it's it's truly wonderful it, i really really love it granted i'd love it anyway because i love death but it's just a really uh, yeah oh god how morbid does that sound <laughs> especially when people walk in my room and i have i have the tome of her work you know um oh. like sandman graphics you can get in these gorgeous massive black bound yeah books and i have the death one so when people walk in my room pretty much the first thing they see <laughs> is this big black tome that says death in silver letters and has an ink at the top it's like how yeah. much more mini goth could a book be? I love it. It's oh, it's so it's so beautiful as well. It's like my absolute pride treasure. And joy. Oh yeah. yeah, it is my treasure. Um, her the other death spin-off is called uh, the time of your life, and actually is also involves a character from another Sandman graphic novel um, called Foxglove, and in Sandman it's about Foxglove's kind of artistic rise to fame she becomes a singer um the death graphic novel that includes foxglove and her girlfriend is about uh they have they have a baby and the baby dies and foxglove essentially like her and her girlfriend offer one of themselves they're like take us instead and yeah give just for more time with the baby like we, we just put a little bit more time that they can all be together and then one of them will go instead and it's the it's a graphic about the exploration of that idea and making that decision and everything that that would entail um it's it's beautifully done and exceptionally poignant because i think most parents would absolutely if if most, if, if parents who have lost a child could have that conversation who wouldn't have that conversation mm. it's um and it's and it's it's in true game and style, just beautifully I, I worded. I was gonna say it just sounds exactly like yeah. what he does. You know, he makes you look at something and think, "Oh, that's wonderfully quirky," and then bam, he just gives you all these emotions and just starts making you think. Yeah, it's and all that, about that's the what he does. That's just and that's why we love and worship at the <laughs> altar of the Gaiman. Um, another set of spin-offs that Gaiman created based on the Sandman graphic novels is uh, a, a series called The Books of Magic. Um, and therefore, four graphics based on uh, they're, they're actually again 
spin-offs from one part of one of the Sandman series mm. in which um, the Sandman helps Shakespeare write a play <laughs> to put on for the king and queen of fairy. So Titania and Oberon come <laughs> to the human world to watch A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, that's And then so they awesome. go back to the fairy world. And this um, this has created the, the Books of Magic series in which a small boy is uh, found by... They're called the Trenchcoat Brigade. And <laughs> it, the Trenchcoat brigade, brigade is made up of John Constantine, the Phantom Stranger, Doctor Occult and Mr. E. And... Timothy, the little boy that they find, essentially has the potential to be the best magician the world has ever known. And these four people go to find him to explain to him everything that magic involves, what it can do, but also the cost. And to explain to him that there is good and there is bad. And each person in the trench coat brigade takes him on a separate journey so that he can learn what it would be to be a magician. And so he can make his decision as to whether he would be good, whether he would be bad, or whether he wants to turn his back on all of it. Um, and again, in true gamer style, it's just beautifully done. And each, as each person of the trench coat brigade takes him on their journey, a different artist does oh. that part, that graphic. And so you you get a visual representation of each person's story that they're trying to create for him. Makes it we that see, more unique. Yeah, it's beautiful. We see them. They go to the beginning of the universe. They go to the end of the universe. So again, we get to we get to meet death again mm-hmm. because when the universe ends, the last thing left is death, and then yeah, she can sort herself out. Beautifully done. Wonderfully quirky and brilliant. But then there was a spin-off from that. So a spin-off <laughs> led to a spin-off. And there's a series called The Books of Fairy um, by Bronwyn Carlton. So these aren't Gaiman. Um, and one is about Titania um, and explaining a reveal from from The Books of Magic that I won't go into. It's a big reveal, but actually, but blink and you miss it. He doesn't overplay it. It's so underplayed. Um, and then the second one is Oberon's Tale. So then it's explaining... Oberon's side of the story that we get from the Books of Fairy. Uh, Books of Fairy, I'm not going to lie, I think it's weak. Mm. I don't. It doesn't stand up. But Oberon's tale, I think, regains a certain amount of intrigue because it's a little bit more political. It's about Oberon's rise to the throne okay. and uh, all the manipulation that went into trying to get him there for him then to actually stand up and be a powerful person and not take... like So people... It's all about the webs that people wove to get Oberon on the throne uh-huh. and then when Oberon got on the throne he wasn't taking rubbish from anyone um, and he and that wasn't what they were expecting and it's it's good it's it's fun so remind us um, what, what, what are these where can we find them um, I think they are all Vertigo mm-hmm. as far as I am aware um, Death the high cost of living you can generally find really is readily available uh, most bookshops that sell graphic novels will have the high cost of living the time of your life you sometimes have to look for uh-huh. um, I think I bought my copy from Forbidden Planet 
So but if I'm not sure if you do go into your local bookstore and ask for it, they'll be able to... Yes, I it. think they started republishing it because Fantastic. the reason that you couldn't get it for ages is because it hadn't been in, it hadn't been in print for 10 years. Ah. Um, whereas I think it is again now. Uh, Books of Magic, very similar. It, they were printed in the early 90s mm-hmm. and they never did them again. So if you wanted to read them, you generally had to get the American... Yeah. originals so they were in they were the beautiful four separate pieces like mm-hmm. four separate issues whereas now because gaming is so popular yeah. now and graphics are popular now um that will be at most bookshops as Fantastic. well or you can ask for it because it is available and good um and also if, if you are intrigued by that the lucifer series by mike carey is a spin-off from sandman yes and they are absolutely amazing i love them but i could i could talk about the lucifer series maybe we should years. do so we'll do a show yeah, on we it we should do yeah. a show on it <laughs> and we'll put up links for all of that stuff on the social media later this afternoon yes. thanks very much that would be awesome all the things Well, this has been the Bookworm on Fab Radio International today. If you're around Manchester this week, I believe Brian Lee O'Malley, um, author of the Scott Pilgrim graphic novels, uh, will be visiting Travelling Man and signing books. So make sure that if uh, you can find news on the website or you can even call the branch in Manchester, um, pop by and get your graphic novel signed. This is Nympha Hayes and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can catch The Bookworm on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud and iTunes. Please listen, like and subscribe. Next week we will be back with Ed and Nympha. Woohoo! The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Nympha Hayes and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>